Preaching 101 says, open your message with an interesting story, a humorous anecdote, anecdote, something that uh, fits with the theme of the lesson. And I think we're okay this morning as we begin the Mulligan series from the book of John Jonah. The book of Jonah kind of is its own interesting story and anecdote, so I don't think we need to do anything uh, in addition to that today. Um, even if you are not a very religious person, even if you are not a regular reader of the Bible, you probably have heard of Jonah. Uh, you almost certainly have heard of the great fish, or depending on who you learned it from, the whale, uh, the great fish who swallowed Jonah up. Um, so Jonah's story is kind of its own is kind of its own preaching 101 sermon starter, and it kind of makes it easy on guys like me. Well, you may believe, so you're acquainted with some of the story at least, and you may believe that it happened. You may believe that it did not actually happen, um, and I don't know where you're at on that. Either way, I think there is a whole lot that we can learn from the story of Jonah. I personally believe it did happen. I believe that all the details of the story actually happened, and while that may seem a little far-fetched to some folks, I'm reminded that the very core of our faith as disciples of Jesus Christ is the story of God sending His Son from heaven to earth, and that His Son Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, that Jesus died and was was raised from death on the third day and ascended to heaven, to the right hand of God. Um, And that is pretty remarkable stuff. So I don't think the story of Jonah is any more remarkable or hard to believe than that. Um, I believe, we believe in a miracle-performing Almighty God, God who spoke the universe into existence out of nothing. Um... And so Jonah's story is, to me, is, is plausible. Uh, I walk by faith, not by sight. Also, Jesus, uh, during his public ministry, referred or, or referenced the story of Jonah, referenced it as being true. And so I believe what Jesus says, too. So I believe there are more than one reason to, to think the story actually occurred as it is written. One thing, though that is clear, whatever you think about that, one thing that is clear from the story of Jonah is that our God is a God who gives second chances. If you're a golfer, you know this as a mulligan. And hopefully your foursome allows you to take a mulligan on the first hole maybe, or if they're super generous at some other point during the round, if you don't know what a mulligan is, here goes uh, a mulligan from golf. It is a shot not counted against the score permitted in unofficial play to a player whose previous shot was poor. Okay? Um, So everyone needs a mulligan sometimes, not just in golf, but in life, because we all make some poor shots, don't we? In the book of Jonah, the Lord gives this prophet a mulligan. Uh, And not only that... But more impressive than that, he gives the city of Nineveh, a wicked Assyrian city, he gives the city of Nineveh a mulligan as well. And that's where the story begins. Uh, Right off the bat, God 
reveals to Jonah that he wants Jonah to go and preach to this city of 120,000 Assyrians, the capital city of Assyria, Nineveh. He wants him to preach to them and give them an opportunity to repent. Okay, Give them the opportunity to have a second chance. And the one that God chose to deliver the message is this prophet, uh, Jonah. Now prophets typically... Uh, I think a lot of times we hear prophet, we hear prophecy, and we think, oh, uh, fortune teller or predicting the future. About 90% of the time, that is not what prophets in the Bible did. Occasionally, they will speak about future events that may happen or that will happen or that conditionally will happen. Usually, 90% of the time, they're talking about stuff that's going on right now. And they're just preaching, um, oftentimes, confrontational messages calling God's people to get back with the program, and that's what's uh, being asked of Jonah, uh, not talk to God's people, and that's, in, in fact, but, but talk to people about changes that need to ma- be made. Now, that is one of the unusual things also about the book of Jonah, is Jonah is not being sent to Israel, not being sent to one of the tribes, or an individual uh, who is part of the Israelites. He's being sent to a foreign power, and that is one of the unusual things about this message. God is sending his preacher, his prophet, to go to a very uh, foreign place and preach a word from the Lord to those people. So if Jonah was surprised at this unusual destination, he was shocked at the message he would be asked to deliver. The message was that the Ninevites would be getting an opportunity to change, that they would get a mulligan, that they would get a chance to turn around and do things differently, and Jonah was not okay with that mission, not okay with that message. He hated Ninevites. He despised the Assyrians. They were, in his time, the superpower of the day. Um, They um, had oppressed the Israelites for years. And don't miss this. They were really, really bad people. Um, Just wicked people. Okay, ISIS, I guess, if you were to pick a group out today that is doing some really wicked, evil things, you might say ISIS. Well, they were, ISIS are rookies compared to... To the Assyrians. The Assyrians didn't just kill their enemies, didn't just behead people, all right? They perfected ways of killing people slowly, impaling people on spikes, um, skinning people alive, just basically torturing people to death. I'm sorry, I know it's eight o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning, but you just need to know they're really, really bad people. There's a reason Jonah reacts the way he does, and I don't know if he knew someone personally who had been victimized by the Assyrians, um, or what, but um, I know he hated them, he hated them, okay, so God comes and says to this prophet, he says, go to Nineveh, capital city of Assyria, preach against that city, and Jonah says, no, and at least he, he doesn't maybe say that, but he lets his feet do the talking, doesn't he, when he purchases a passage, instead of heavy, heading off to Nineveh, modern day Iraq, he heads to Tarshish, modern-day Spain, the opposite direction. Um, so chapter 1, let's start out in chapter 1. Verse 3, Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. 
he went down to the port of Joppa, where he bought a, 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 found a ship leading for Tarshish, bought a ticket, went on board, hoping to escape the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. So Jonah is on a, uh, a cargo ship, and the vessel is slowly moving off over the horizon, farther and further out to sea, farther and farther from the, the specific destination that the prophet had been asked to go to. Uh, you remember what happened next, right? Out at sea, a violent storm surrounds the ship and the crew and Jonah and tosses the boat around like a, like a plastic toy in a bathtub with a toddler. I mean, the, the boat is being tossed around, and at some point the integrity of the ship will certainly be compromised and it will disintegrate and all of the souls on board will be lost. And so the crew on this ship began to pray to their gods, to their pantheon of deities. They are praying. They are also working. They are jettisoning the cargo overboard, lightening the load of the ship, hoping that might be enough to help the ship hold together, stay above the waterline. The ship's captain went below decks to look for Jonah, to look for their passenger. Um, and when he found Jonah, uh, Jonah was asleep, okay? Jonah was asleep. The captain woke him up and said, what are you doing? How can you be sleeping at a time like this? Get up and pray to your God. You're a foreigner to us, so pray to your God. Maybe your God can do something about the situation in which we find ourselves. Um, now remember, the story opened up, very first verse, with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah, son of Amittai. God speaking to Jonah, but never in chapter 1 does Jonah speak to the Lord. Jonah is not interested in praying. The pagan sailors, yes, they're praying. The captain, yes, praying. Jonah, not praying. Now, the crew cast lots, so sort of a game of chance. Think dice or, or drawing the short straw here. They cast lots to see who was responsible. Which one of them, obviously, this storm is not something random. Even they can read the signs. They can tell this is some, some, someone's God is angry. Okay? So, the, someone on board has run afoul of their God. And so they cast lots to see who that is, and uh, it's Jonah who rose, rolls snake eyes, or it's Jonah that pulls out the, the short straw, and he actually, um, when all the signs point to him, he even confesses, yes, it's me. I, I, I'm actually here running away from my God. Now, a word about the Bible here, a word about Bible inspiration. Um, a lot of well-meaning people get wrapped up in certain um, statements or declarations of faith here. Like some people like to say, you know, I believe that every word of the Bible is true um, and that every word of the Bible is the word of God. Well, not so fast. I mean, that sounds good, but not so fast. Um, I have a high view of Scripture. I believe that, uh, but, but having a high view of Scripture doesn't mean you believe that every word of the Bible is true, right? I mean, the Bible contains lies, that people told, okay? The Bible contains quotations from the devil, um, and, and, and certainly those aren't good and true, 
um, being in the Bible doesn't somehow magically make all of, all of the words that are in there true because, quite frankly, the Bible contains a lot of junk. Now, before you get up and leave, listen to me here. The Bible contains a lot of junk because the Bible contains a lot of stories about people like us. Okay? And the Bible contains a lot of stupid things. Sorry, parents. Um, it contains a lot of stupid things that people like us said. And a lot of untrue things that people like us said. So the Bible contains the Word of God. It also truthfully and accurately contains untrue and inaccurate things that people like us say. Does that make sense? hope it makes sense. Well, that is all a segue to get to, um, for instance, <laughs> what Jonah says in Jonah chapter 1 verse 9. Speaking to the crew and the captain of this sailing ship, Jonah said, I am a Hebrew... I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. You may be thinking, what is wrong with that? Well, there are a couple of pretty big things wrong with that. Um, With all due respect, Jonah, not so fast. Worship the Lord? Hmm. Maybe Jonah could have said, I have in the past worshipped the Lord. Maybe he could say, from time to time, I've been known to worship the Lord. But present tense, I am a Hebrew, I worship the Lord. I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, worshiping God means giving him your life. It means surrendering your will to his will. Uh, I'm pretty sure worshiping the Lord, the act of worshiping the Lord does not include directly contradicting his will for your life. That is not worship, okay? I'm pretty sure steadfastly refusing to pray is not worshiping the Lord, Jonah. And so, yes, the Bible reveals God's will to us. It also... um, Well, in God's wisdom, he also reveals in the Bible words and deeds that fall far short of his will. Uh, The second problem, of course, is Jonah says, I worship the Lord, Lord, Adonai. Uh, That means the one who is my master. Well, God is not your Adonai. He's not your master, at least on this occasion, as you head off in the opposite direction. So a couple of problems with what Jonah says there in chapter 1. The crew, very reluctantly, decide, and with Jonah's approval, they decide the only way out of the situation is to jettison another piece of the cargo, the prophet of God. And so they throw him over the side of the ship. At that very moment, the storm ceases. And imagine that scene. As that sea, the Mediterranean Sea, is as still as a sheet of glass. And the pagan crew begin at that moment to worship. They worship the God of Israel. The prophet is sinking below the surface, sinking into the deep blue waters of the Mediterranean. And he, at that point, is swallowed by the giant fish. By the way, the fish only appears in three verses, okay? The fish is not a major player in the story, although we like to think about the fish because that's pretty, pretty amazing, right? Um, the fish swallows Jonah, and it is a fish assigned by God for this task of getting Jonah, God's prophet, getting him back, back on course, back where he is supposed to be. Now, there is a lot going on in Jonah chapter 1, and a lot of really relevant and useful stuff for my life and for your life. So let's get into that now. Starting with 
how God communicated to Jonah and how he communicates to you and me. Have you ever asked, how do I know God is speaking to me? How, well, how does God speak to me? That as well. Um, I think we learned something from Jonah 1. There are several ways we see that God communicates just in this chapter. Um, For starters here, three ways God communicates to us, through his counsel, through his explicit counsel. God speaks to us through his word, through the Bible. Um, We find in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Um, And that is actually Bible as well because it's in our Bible, right? Um, The word came to Jonah. Uh, And I know some of you are thinking the Bible is great and everything, but seriously, God God spoke to Jonah. I mean, God spoke directly to Jonah. God actually talked to him. Isn't that different? Well, the Lord really actually speaks to us when we open the Bible and read his word. As the author of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, God's word is alive. It's not just ink on a page. God's word is alive and it is working and sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and the spirit are joined to the center of our joints and bones. It judges the thoughts and feelings in our hearts. It speaks. It's alive. Now, I think we kind of have here, on God speaking through his word, I think we kind of have a bit of the grass is always greener principle. You may think, I sure wish that God spoke to me how he spoke to Jonah, how he spoke to prophets in the Old Testament. Um, I would be willing, though, I would be willing to bet that those prophets would gladly trade places with you in a heartbeat. I think they would look at you and they would say, you mean to say, you, 2015, North Dallas, you have the entire revelation of God, all 66 books of the Bible, and you carry that around in the palm of your hand, or maybe if you have a smartphone or mobile, you actually have all of that in your pocket, and you can pull that out, and you can access that, and you can search that, and you can hear the voice of God on a wide range of subjects 24-7 whenever you choose to open the Word of God. I think they would say, you have all of that, and you want to trade places with me? You see, the Lord speaks to us today when we encounter His Word in the Bible. He tells us about Jesus who came to save us from our sins. He gives us counsel on how to live. Um, He talks with us about how to make good decisions, better decisions, how to build strong relationships. And He uses His Word to help us. Now, uh, he uses his word, I think, also to help us understand ourselves, to know ourselves better. So, back to Jonah for a second. <laughs> we can ridicule Jonah. I mean, we can criticize this guy. We can, we can say, what a numbskull. Jonah, what a numbskull. Or we can simply, humbly see ourselves in his story. When we open the word of God, 
the Lord speaks to us. If we don't open the Word of God, if we don't think it matters enough or has enough value or are interested in it enough to open it and read it, maybe we're kind of doing a lot of the same thing Jonah was doing in Jonah chapter 1. I mean, there it is. We're carrying it around. We've got it in our pocket. And we're not listening. We're not opening. We're not reading. Um, So can we really honestly say that we are open to what the Lord is saying to us? I just wish God would speak to me. Really? You do? You don't act like it. So I'm not trying to be confrontational here or make us feel bad or anything like that. I just want to see that, well, um, we can very easily turn our backs to the Word of God just like Jonah did. And I think we often, I think we often do. Uh, God also, so He communicates through His counsel, through His Word. He also communicates through circumstances. He did that in Jonah's time. He does that in our time. God speaks to us through life situations in which we find ourselves. In verse 4 of Jonah, the, the storm doesn't come by accident. It's God. God sent a great wind on the sea. And the storm spoke. I mean, it, it communicated. And it was a message that the pagan crew and captain heard loud and clear. It was a message that Jonah also heard loud and clear. Everyone understood that someone had offended. Someone had grieved God. They understood that God was speaking through that particular circumstances and, uh, circumstance. And they were right about that, weren't they? Um, just a note here. God is never going to communicate something to you. Uh, through a circumstance or situation that is in contradiction to the Word of God, the Bible. Okay? You're never going to get a circumstance that tells you something to do that is not consistent with the Word of God, the Bible. Now, if you have sensed that, God has, that something is happening or something has happened that God is using to try to speak to you, if it's consistent with Scripture, then you better pay attention to that. You better pay attention to that. We don't have, obviously, that's a whole other very fruitful conversation we have. Don't have time to flesh all that out this morning. Um, and I don't know that there is a foolproof te- test for interpreting all of life's circumstances to know what he's saying in those circumstances. But I do, do know he communicated to Jonah and that crew through circumstances, and he does with us today. Um, just this week, I mean, just a couple of days ago, a sister here at Preston Crest was telling me about a situation in her life where this is happening. She didn't know I was going to preach about this today, but she was sharing to me that uh, a a dear old friend from decades back um, who she had had on her her heart reached out and and got back in touch with her and how uh, a series of things happened where they they have now begun studying the Bible together and that this dear old friend is coming coming into a relationship with the Lord now. And she said, isn't it amazing how God works in those ways? She was just on my heart. She reached out to me, and now we're studying the Word together. God, God brings people into our lives. He opens doors. If we pay attention, we see Him. We hear Him communicating through those circumstances. Uh, God even communicates through the natural world around us. He certainly did in Jonah chapter 1, but, 
But Psalm 19, verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So when you look up at the majesty of the night sky, God is communicating something to you through that, about his, beauty, about his creativity, his power, uh, the beauty of his imagination. So yeah, he speaks to us through his counsel. He speaks to us through circumstances. And he also speaks to us through people. Okay? Speaks to us through people in our lives. The community is that third one. The community. In verse 6, God speak, uh, we find that God speaks to us through the wise counsel of people around us. That's not to say that all of the counsel of people around us is wise. But some of it is. And God can speak through that. Verse 6, the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep, get up, and call on your God? Maybe he will take notice of us, and we will not perish. Did God speak through this captain? Of course he did. I mean, what, what would have happened if he had not gone down there and woken Jonah up? How differently would things have ended for everyone on board that ship if Jonah had not been awakened by the captain and, and also the captain spoke accurately about the situation? You need to get up. You need to start praying, interceding for us. And in our, in our fellowship as a church family, God will speak through sisters and brothers here at Preston Crest, a word of encouragement, a word of wisdom about, about issues you're dealing with, 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 with rearing your children, um, a word of counsel or, or inspiration um, from someone who has overcome an addiction in their life and they want to help you break the hold of that addiction that you're struggling with. Um, and yeah, words of confrontation about things that need to change. Um, God speaks through his people, wise words of counsel. So Jonah chapter 1 may not be an exhaustive list of the ways that God communicates. I mean, God also speaks through um, the Holy Spirit, inner promptings of the Holy Spirit. By the way, the, ho- the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit generally are mediated or, or manifest themselves through the Holy Spirit speaking to you through the Word or through circumstances or through someone else. But I think He does also speak through our consciences as well. So God speaks. God communicated to Jonah. God speaks to you. What Jonah did and did not do and what we do and do not do when God speaks to us, well, that is another, that's another subject altogether. So let's unpack that a little bit. When God speaks, okay, um, know this. Just Let's get this out of the way right off the bat. When God speaks, He can and will ask me to do things that I would prefer not to do. I don't need Jonah chapter 1 to tell me that, but Jonah chapter 1 certainly does tell me, as he's telling Jonah to do something Jonah doesn't want to do, God is going to tell me to do some things that I don't want to do. And we could spend all morning on examples, but I, I know some people are acquainted with, with like the principle of tithing in the Old Testament and the New Testament. They know... Um, whether they believe they should give exactly 10%, they know that if the Hebrews did 10%, they should be giving at least 10%, but they say no thanks. I, I would rather not do that. Um, I think people, uh, most folks know what God says about sexuality. Sex is for marriage. Sex is for marriage. 
period. And a lot of people say, yeah, I prefer not to take that one. I'll I'll do it my own way. Thanks anyway, God. Well, God told Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach, and Jonah didn't want to. And I think we can identify with that. God is going to ask you, he's going to ask me to do some things that we don't want to do, that we would prefer not to do. So full disclosure, um, the Lord in his great wisdom and love for us and for, his la- for his lost, the lost world around us will ask us to do things we would prefer not to do. Which brings us to our second point here on when God speaks. Uh, this is our part, our response. When God speaks, I can align myself to his will or I can choose to sail in the opposite direction. Okay. We know what Jonah did. Verse 2, he ran away from the Lord. No great mystery here. When the Lord communicates his will to you, you can say yes, or you can say no thanks. And honestly, every person, you, me, everybody, with one exception, every person in the history of the world has told God at some point, nah, I won't be, I won't be following you on this one. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all caught a ride in the opposite direction from where we knew the Lord wanted us to be from what we knew the Lord was asking us to do. By the way, trying to run away from God, it doesn't ever end well. Um, I like the story of Dr. Mortimer Adler, who uh, it's said that he once got in a very angry discussion at a tea at someone's home. He was so angered that he was, got so disgusted, he just got up, and just left and slammed the door behind him. Everybody was quiet for a few seconds, and then finally trying to relieve the tension, somebody said, well, at least he's gone. And the hostess said, actually, that's a closet. So, so. We may think we're getting away from God. We're escaping from God, but running away from God... It, it doesn't work. And finally, and this final bullet point here, this may sound like bad news, but let's, let's wait. Let's reserve judgment on this. It's this. When God speaks, He may use pain and distress in order to get my attention, in order to get our attention. He may use pain. Um, By the way, we're not going to get into all of this, but Hebrews chapter 12 is a great treatise on how God does this, how He as a Father disciplines us out of His love for us. And that does kind of help us understand, I think, this idea and how it can be a good thing. A good parent, a good parent does not simply allow their toddler to play in the middle of the street, right? Right? And if their toddler is playing in the middle of the street, 
when dad comes bursting out of the front door and dad is shouting at them, it may be distressing, it may be upsetting, the toddler is likely to cry in that situation, but we know that the father is motivated by love and the father is willing to cause a little bit of distress to save his child's life. And God is life. He is the author of life. He is the one in whom we have eternal life thanks to Jesus. And so when, G- when God is chasing after you, when God is shouting at you through some pain and some frustration, it's because He loves you. And you're walking away from life. And the Father doesn't want you to walk into death. How did the Lord get Jonah's attention? A violent storm. Uh, a bunch of guys grabbing him and throwing him over the side of the ship. Uh, being swallowed alive by giant fish. Um, those are all, I, 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 would, I haven't experienced many of those, but I, I would assume those are all, to varying degrees, unpleasant. But they certainly got his attention. Because this is where Jonah starts praying for the first time. C.S. Lewis once said, Pain is the megaphone of God. If he's having trouble getting your attention, pain is a megaphone he can use to get your attention. And so Jonah, there he is, finally in the belly of a fish somewhere under the surface of the Mediterranean. And chapter 2, verse 2 it says, Jonah says this, in my distress, in my pain, in my discomfort, in my fear, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Hadn't prayed up to this point. Has tried to speak to God, has tried to speak to Jonah in a number of ways. Nothing seems to be getting his attention. But this pain, this distress does get Jonah's attention. And I hope that the Lord has your attention this morning. Because I do, I believe he's speaking right here. I believe he's speaking through our time together as we explore his word this morning. So I believe he is speaking to you. And I hope and pray that you are listening So very simply, we're going to finish with two very simple ideas, um, and I hope you'll listen up to these ideas. The first idea, very simple idea that we see from Jonah chapter 1 is this. In spite of Jonah's, insert your adjective here, his blunders, his sins, his mistakes, willful disobedience, in, in, in spite of all of that, God gave him a mulligan. God gave him a second chance. Honestly, I mean, this is, just, this is my opinion. I don't think God needed Jonah. I mean, based on how I've seen God speak and work in other parts of the Bible, I think God could have spoken directly to the Assyrian king, just directly. I certainly think God could have 
uh, just kind of let Jonah drown out there and found a more willing spokesman, <laughs> a more pliable prophet, right? Um, he could have done that, but he didn't. Jonah 1, verse 17, but the Lord provided. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. And that is a very important but there. But the Lord provided. God is telling us, you know, (laughs) I could have given up on Jonah, but I provided. And, well, he hasn't given up on you. He hasn't given up on you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you so that your sins, blunders, disobedience, so that you could be forgiven. Paid a huge price in order to give you a mulligan, if you will. And God gave Jonah a second chance. Now, this is really important, this move, to, to another very simple idea as we close out our time this morning. If you are far from the Lord, if you are running from God, um, God wants to give you a second chance. Okay? Now, the second very simple idea, which is just as important as this first idea. Okay, here goes. When God gave Jonah a mulligan, it was not a free pass, but an opportunity to get back on course. We do a serious injustice to the Lord. We do a serious injustice to the richness of His mercy and grace when we stop with just, God wants to give you a second chance. God wants to give you a mulligan. Because His second chance is not simply a free pass, is it? It's not so, wow, I can go right back to living the way I was. It's not so that I can just continue being a lousy husband, a terrible friend, bad father, a liar, a thief, whatever the case may be. But a second chance from God, it's not just a free pass. It's not God looking at your sin and kind of winking and saying, no big deal. That's not what it is. It is a big deal. (laughs) My sin is a big deal. Your sin is a big deal. The Lord has given me a mulligan, has given you a second chance so that we can repent and so that we can start heading back in the right direction. So that we can get aligned with Him so that we can do what we were always made to do. Worship the Lord. Live for the Lord. And maybe that's why you're here this morning. You are at a place where you need to repent. And in your distress, you need to call out to the Lord 
and decide that you need to be heading in a different direction. Maybe that's why you're here today is to hear that. Or maybe you need to start fresh with Jesus, putting your faith in Him for the very first time, trusting Him in baptism, and beginning your walk forgiven as a disciple of Jesus Christ. However you need to respond this morning, respond to God as we stand together and worship Him.